Welcome to Tammy Sparacino Journal Club Casino Podcast, hosted by Tammy Sparacino. So I'm going to turn this over to Tammy. This is her journal club. I was trying to eat my my keto snack, um, but she said run the intro while I was trying to open it up. So you can put the camera on Tammy, and she can start with the journal club, and I'm going to eat my keto snack. Oh, by the way, welcome, John. I I saw him over there. I didn't see that he was already online. John, how are you today? It's good to see you. Good morning. Coming to you live from beautiful, sunny West Florida. Oh, you're in Key West? Wonderful, John. Yeah, I was wondering what happened to your library that's behind you, the fake library that you always sit by and with the big, with the big, with the big leather couch. Yeah, well, that's my uh, Orlando office. So we're down in the satellite Key West office at the moment. Well, good for you. Good for you. Welcome. And it's good to see you. I'm looking forward to hearing about the, uh, the knowledge nuggets on the, uh, factor seven. I know that, uh, We've had a couple of circumstances here recently where I thought we were going to be given some Factor Seven, but mm-hmm. we didn't give it. So I'm very interested to hear about this. That's a that's a provocative topic. So I'm glad you picked that. Okay, David, go on to Tammy so I can eat my keto snack and let's get this Tammy the Sparacino Journal Club rolling. You know, we've tried to go a couple times, but you won't stop talking. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Turn my mic off. <laughs> Welcome, John. Um, And welcome to everyone who's joining us for the Journal Club. Today, the article that we are going to be looking at for Journal Club is from Perfusion. It was published uh, in August of 2020, and the title is The Early Experience of Pump-Controlled Retrograde Trial-Off for Weaning from Veno-Arterial Extracorporeal Membrane Oxygenation in adult patients with cardiogenic shock. And you can see it's by Min Ho Ju and his colleagues. Mm-hmm. Okay. Me, him, Lim. Oh, Joe. <laughs> Here, the, here's the abstract. So a little bit of an introduction, because I actually was not familiar with this technique at all. So I found this article really fascinating, and I, I think it might be really interesting to you as well. So pump-controlled retrograde trial-off has recently been introduced as an effective method for weaning VA ECMO uh, in pediatric patients specifically. Um, However, studies on pump-controlled retrograde trial-off in adults were lacking. So this study aimed to examine the outcomes of pump-controlled retrograde trial-off for weaning VA ECMO in adult patients. And you can see that um, their methods were between January 2018 and July 2019. They actually had a good amount of patients. They had 87 um, consecutive adult patients that underwent uh, VA ECMO, and 47 of them, or 54%, um, underwent the pump-controlled retrograde trial-off weaning from ECMO, and they were enrolled in this study. The um, trials were... uh, the, the trial offs results were um, a reapplication rate and clinical values were uh, analyzed. Results of the 47, 38 or 80, um, basically 81% were weaned from VA ECMO and, um, sorry, lost my place there, weaned uh, using the trial off and then five were weaned, uh, uh, They were weaned on the first attempt, five were weaned on the second attempt, and four on the third attempt. 
three of the patients were converted to uh, VV ECMO, uh, had due to desaturation, but had stable blood pressure during the pump-controlled um, retrograde trial off. No ECMO reapplication was performed within three days after removal. Two patients underwent VA um, ECMO uh, oxygenation, uh, sorry, VA ECMO during follow-up. No complications associated with the retrograde trial offs occurred, um, including any uh, thromboembolic uh, events. Five in-hospital deaths occurred after weaning, and their total conclusion was that this method for trial off is an effective method to safely wean from VA ECMO in adult patients. They find it to be simple and easily uh, implemented without additional invasive procedures and may help prevent uh, deterioration of the cardiovascular system after weaning from VA ECMO. All right. Okay. Is that a lot? Are you fixing to tell us? No, that's okay. But yeah. are you fixing to tell us? what exactly this is? Yeah, okay, that's good. what this article is about. Okay. So here we go. Okay, so why this paper was published. We touched on that in the abstract, but they, this group was very interested in applying this type of weaning technique to, uh, in their facility and then publishing a paper about it because although it, there were papers published about it, they were mainly in the pediatric population and this technique had been being used in some adult populations, but not a lot of literature out there uh, tracking the success of it. What they did was they just decided to uh, do this study, record their results, and see if it would be something that they could um, reproduce and then uh, be able to share it with others for the exact same purpose. So here's their methods and procedures. So if you want to take a look at this um, image, you'll see that um, normal VA ECMO flow is shown on the most left side of the screen. And you have, uh, you know, just your normal drainage running through the ECMO pump and then return. They happen to be using femoral cannulation um, here. But of course, there's other variations for that. Then in the center, you'll see that they, this is what they call their backflow test with a partial clamp. So what they do is they, uh, the whole concept is that you turn your RPMs down low enough that you get retrograde flow from the arterial side so that then you are flowing instead of returning on the arterial side, you are flowing from the patient from the arterial side in the reverse through the ECMO circuit, then back in and being returned uh, on the uh, femoral side. You see that? Oh, yeah, I, okay. I see it. Okay. But they're using tubing clamps and they're not using screw clamps. We need to discuss that. <laughs> the, the <laughs> so the center diagram actually shows them just inhibiting the flow enough so that they're able to uh, be able to control how much backflow they get. So it's kind of a protective measure. Then uh, the uh, diagram all the way to the right is what they actually call um, the PCRTO, which is the pump-controlled retrograde trial off technique. And the, um, I, I found it really fascinating. First off, have you ever heard of this? No. John, have you ever heard of this? 
No, I have not. I'm absolutely stumped by this. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty. It's pretty interesting. Okay, mm -hmm. so let me just read. Um, now that I've kind of described it, and you know what we're talking about here, let me just read their description for the figure. So um, they say, figure one: physiological changes <sighs> during normal VA ECMO um, and pump-controlled retrograde trial off. In the diagram A, peripheral um, femoral or femfem VA ECMO circuit is connected to the patient in the normal forward flow. In figure B, retrograde flow is established. Oh, yes, that's correct. I didn't explain that. B, the pump is actually off, okay? And they use the clamps to control so that uh, they can control the exact amount of uh, retrograde flow. Two partial clamps were applied on the arterial cannula to control the amount of the backflow shunt. Then in C, they have the retrograde flow established during the pump-controlled um, retrograde trial off with the patient still connected to the circuit. The amount of backflow was controlled by the ECMO pump, and there was no additional circuit connection. And I'll explain how you do that, but it's really quite fascinating because they're right. You really don't change anything at all to the circuit to be able to see if the patient is going to be uh, able to tolerate coming off VA ECMO. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you're also providing some, I'm assuming, because you're creating an AV shunt, you're creating some increase in your venous saturation going yes. back to the lungs. Yes. But doing it by using the left-sided systemic pressure to just drive it. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay. So here's figure two, just kind of breaks down um, some of the numbers that I gave you in the abstract. So again, this was uh, done over about a year. They had at their uh, facility 207 adult ECMOs, so they're, they have a pretty good that's size number. Pretty, yeah, it's pretty damn busy. Yeah. They, um, the exclusions were if they were VV um, or if they were VA simply for lung uh, transplant. And the ones that made it into the study were 87, so it was VA ECMO just for circulatory support. And they had 48 that they were able to wean from ECMO, 39 that did weaning failure. The ones that weaned from ECMO, um, only one did not have the backflow test. 47 of them had the backflow test. And then, and the reason the one did not is they had a LV thrombus removal uh, during, for some reason, uh, in the operating room. The weaning failure ones. Uh, 10 went to transplant and 29 uh, died. Okay, so just a real quick look at their patient characteristics for their ECMO. You can see that um, they looked at all the normal parameters, you know, the body weight, the height, uh, BMI, the reason for ECMO support. Uh, overwhelmingly, you can see it was a ischemic heart disease, but they, they had other um, reasons for cardiogenic shock as well. Um, their average duration for their ECMO um, for this purpose, four days, uh, awakening uh, ECMO without a ventilator, uh, nine days. Uh, they had two types of ECMO circuits that they used. One that's the McKay uh, permanent life support, and then one that is the Terumo emergency bypass system. Um, didn't seem to really have any much difference in those, just what they had available. They uh, show their cannula sizes, uh, distal perfusion, um, et cetera. 
gives up some pretty small patients because the 16 arterial, I mean, is pretty small for mm -hmm. VA ECMO. Yes, yes. And depending on the size of the patient. I mean, sure. that's what we did here recently mm -hmm. when we did the V VA, mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, we used a 16 because I, I didn't think she needed, you know, big high flow arterial because I'm splitting it now. Um, but, uh, but we had problems with that. But a 16 is pretty small. Mm -hmm. So uh, what's the BMI on these patients? 24? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, they're pretty, small patients. Yeah, they're pretty, uh, pretty small, average, within healthy weight size. I mean, 65 kilograms is the normal birth weight here in Houston. <laughs> and this, this study was, uh, took place in Korea. So some okay. of that also may just be over. North, where they don't eat? No, south. Um, some of that may just be uh, cultural differences in uh, what their, uh, their patient population uh, they have there. And then you'll see that a few of their ECMOs they had to modify and go VVA and VAV. Okay, so here's uh, their flow chart for deciding when they could do this uh, pump-controlled retrograde trial off. So step one would just be... Um, they think they're ready for VA we weaning. Step two is uh, ECMO, you know, flow is decreased to 30%. Their backflow, a shunt test, is, uh, is initiated. And uh, uh, they go down by, uh, they, or they, uh, they determine the backflow at 10 milliliters per kilogram is what they, they estimate that to mm -hmm. be. Okay, and then the... That would be 600 cc's. Yeah. So then if they uh, go through all of that, then they're able to do the, you know, ECMO removal. Mm -hmm. Now, unstable vital signs, so anything less, a systolic less than 90, if they have any arrhythmias, if they have any increase in lactate, uh, any progression of acidosis. Um, and then their backflow test, they will do a daily echo follow-up. They'll do a uh, low-dose uh, catecholamine, and um, they have to be under heparinization with a PTT greater than 70 yeah, due to the low flow. That did not surprise me. Yeah. I was, I was actually... You were waiting for that? I was waiting for something because I'm going to tell you what, that would scare me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here are the profiles and clinical outcomes. So the, uh, as we touched on earlier... Primarily, uh, most of their patients were successful on the first attempt, and they had a few that had to have a second and a th uh, four that had to have a third attempt. They, uh, one of, or three of them, they had to change to VV ECMO because after the VA support, they needed a little just respiratory support. Um, and they had zero uh, 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 thrombotic events. They had uh, no reinsertions of VA ECMO within three days, one af or two after three days, uh, zero VV reinsertions, um, in-hospital death after ECMO removal was five. Their average intensive care stay was 12 days. Their average hospital stay, 37. Um, other hospital referrals, uh, 12. And their home discharge, 30. So not bad. Mm-hmm. All right. That's about right. Forty percent. You're saying forty percent survive. Thirty-eight percent survival. Um, Can you then, go back? Yeah, I'll go back. Well, Number no, of, sixty-three. Oh, no, attempts. 
So 63%, which yeah. is much higher than, than usually stated. VA ECMO is generally quoted mm -hmm. at about a 40% survival Yeah, I'll rate. get into those numbers a little bit later. It's actually widely varied, just depending on what published study that you look at. Agreed. Okay. Yeah. But they had, they had pretty good results, uh, 63, almost 64%. Mm -hmm. So their flow parameter during these trials, so uh, let's see. On the PLS, again, that's just the McKay system, um, here's, a, here's two points that they look at. First, they determine what is your zero flow point. In other words, what's the exact amount of RPMs that you need to apply that you get you don't get forward flow and you don't get reverse flow. So that's something they tracked. And their average was um, 1,500 RPMs. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can see it ra uh, the range was between 1,200 and 1,780. Uh, yeah, that's just going to depend on, on systemic vascular resistance but the, the design of the pump. And... But no, the, just hold on. Okay. Just hold on to that. Then uh, the uh, RPMs to initiate the retrograde flow, you can see their average was 1,300 and with a range of, you know, around 1,100 to 1,500. Now on the other system, again, they had to do two different variables since they had two different systems. The RPM zero flow point on the uh, EBS was 945 with a range of 780 to, you know, about 1,500. And then the RPM needed for the retrograde flow was 745 with a range of 700 to 1300. Um, let's see. Uh, at the one, those were all the successful weanings. Now, at the ones that were unsuccessful at the the uh, weaning, whether that be the first or, or second attempt, you can see that the PLS they had um, two of them, and the range was 1200 to 1400, and with the EBS the zero-point flow was 710 to 850. And what they talk about is they were trying to see if there's any correlation with success, with zero, where you are for zero-point and fail. And what they found was, and you'll notice here, is patients that had a lower RPM zero point flow, so it depends on what's going on with their um, systemic uh, uh, vascular uh, resistance and pressures. Those were the ones that um, that they that failed weaning. Now they couldn't find an absolute number because, of course, that's going to vary. But it's just something that they noticed. So the 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 higher your RPMs were. And because average. your cardiac output was average, yeah. because your cardiac output was better, yes. the easier the systemic circulation would overcome the pump. Yes. So the lower you had to go on the RPMs, the weaker your systemic exactly. circulation was, the more likely you were to fail. Right, exactly. Okay, I got it. And I that, got this. That's, that's why uh, I thought it was very, in, it, it was an interesting way to look at it, to determine the zero point flow. All right, so let's talk about their conclusions. Very simple conclusion. Uh, they found that this method is an effective way to identify the reservoir of the heart function using overloading in the cardiovascular system, particularly in patients with marginal heart function. It is simple and feasible without an invasive procedure and showed good outcomes for weaning from VA ECMO. 
All right. So do you want to have a little brief panel discussion about this before I go on? Um, no, I want you to go on because you got to, yeah, I want you to go on. Okay. I need you to go on with this. You need me to go on? there's got to be a point to this. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, um, please. Well, what would you like to do? It's your show. <laughs> do you want to discuss this or do you want to? Uh, yeah, I'd like to discuss it because my next one really is more generalized and not specifically about this article. Okay. John, uh, well, I'm going to let you start this. I have, uh, this is very fascinating. Never seen anything quite like this. But I have two things I like about this and two things so far at the moment I'm not terribly fond of about this. It's very fascinating. But if you could go back to about the middle of your presentation and there was a patient parameter slide, you pretty much showed all of the... Um, the demographics? Uh, there you go. Yeah, right there. So you can kind of tell this was done in a country where uh, it's not Texas. I can tell you that, right, Joe? No. No, I told you the birth weight here. 65 yeah, kilograms is uh, our birth weight. But he was, I think he was talking about well, that they only list males. Well, well I'm no. looking at the, weight, the age and the weight of the patient. So if you look at, what was it, Hong Kong, I guess you said? No, Korea. 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 Okay, so, you know, just culturally, um, you have very minimal uh, obesity, and especially right. in the elderly population. So if you look at the age of the patients, 50, almost 58 years old, plus or minus 16. So you have the elderly population, which generally in those countries is pretty well, um, you know, slimmed down. And you see that in the BSA. So that's number one. And I, and I think that, that actually helps here compared to some of the things that we may see in our country. But if you also look at this, what year was this published, Kenny? Uh, this was published last year, 2020. Wow, during COVID, because they don't seem to have COVID patients on here. So... You're looking at all cardiogenic patients. Yeah, this is strictly cardiogenic uh, patients, correct. So what's interesting is that if you have cardiogenic patients and you look at the duration of ECMO days, two to seven with a mean of four, mm -hmm. um, this tells me that, you know, a lot of these patients were pretty acute and just needed a few days of rest. And then they came back and their hearts got stronger with that rest, and then they were able to have a quite a bit of success, as high as you said, 64%. Or they um, revascularized them, since most of them were ischemic, yeah. right? So they put them on VA ECMO, they took them to the cath lab, they, they opened up the, 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 the uh, culprit vessel, or vessels, yeah. and then they... They uh, don't really talk about that. They had to do, I mean, you know, yeah. I'm assuming they did something with them. Yeah, if it's they a don't schema. say. Mm -hmm. They don't say. I'm, I'm, they don't say. Yeah, you know, if you just have a big MI, you're not probably not going to recover. Yeah. Now the myocarditis patients were probably a little bit more sticky, and uh, maybe the heart failure patients were a little bit more sticky too. But you could still, um, you know, take a lot of volume off, dry their lungs out with the heart failure patients. You could definitely um, work on the arrhythmia problems while you're on ECMO. So I think their their success large percentage of their success and the reason it was so high on VA ECMO had to do with their patient population but also the fact that they're able to treat these heart conditions over the only you know only four days on ECMO so um, apparently they, they were able to correct a lot of these patients problems but as far as the technique goes the thing that I two things that I like about it is um, is that it, um, it it tests the patient's cardiac output plus 10%. In other words, 
if you have a retrograde flow of 10 milliliters per kilogram, and you said, Joe, it comes out to 600 cc's a minute, that's roughly 15 or, or so percent of the cardiac output that is being shunted AV. So the patient is having to support themselves systemically plus a 15% or so AV shunt that, that is not uh, supported there systemically, except they are getting some VV benefit essentially, right? Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. they're getting oxygenation to their venous side that they normally wouldn't have, but they're losing the perfusion benefit of the cardiac output by doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that part tells me that not only is the patient ready to come off, they're more than ready to come off because they're losing 15% of their cardiac output yeah. through this shunt. But the thing that I don't like about it so far is that if you only have 600 cc's per minute or less going retrograde through a circuit, you have very serious concerns about clotting, and I'm sure that's why they did a PTT of 70 or greater, but I still have pretty grave concerns of that slow of a flow mm -hmm. going back through an uh, artificial circuit. Um, and um, <clears throat> so that's one thing I, I was a little, I'd be a little concerned about, but I guess they didn't did they talk about their complications with that? Yeah, they had zero uh, uh, yeah. zero clot complications. So yeah, they didn't have. Well, I mean, their their PTT was greater than seventy. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, if your PTT is one hundred and ten, yeah. you're not going to clot the circuit at six hundred cc's of flow. I'm just trying to understand why. Well, I like I I. Well, I did you read the article? No. Okay. You're, that's why you're here. Okay. Well, the, tell the, me why. I, I, the, what I got from it is they use it as a method to avoid early decannulation and then having to recannulate because they talk about that a lot, that they had no reinitiation of ECMO. So without changing anything, without risking anything, you know, having to remove your cannulas or trialing off and then your you know, your circuit clotting you having to use a new circuit that's what I got from it so okay and and I understand that I do and I, I and I appreciate I really do I appreciate this doing this study I remember when we picked it mm -hmm. I actually think I picked it you for did you. Mm -hmm. so I, I I threw you under the bus but I thought it was interesting the, what's the difference? in flowing 600 cc's if it's 600 cc's and that's what they're saying with a ptt greater than 70 you don't have to worry about clotting the circuit out whatever what would be the difference although you don't the difference is you don't lose 15 percent of your cardiac output by going retrograde right but if you turned your flow down to 600 and you just flowed at that level and looked at your blood pressure, your inotropy yeah. support, your all the various things that you would look at and left them there like that for some period of time. I mean, once you decannulate, you decannulate, right? So even if they if they succeed in the retrograde trial off period and you decannulate, when you decannulate, you've decannulated. So if you feel you can decannulate predicated on these numbers, but you're flowing 600 cc's as opposed to backwards, but just forwards, and your inotropy support and pressor support and every other support is 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 not unusually high. Uh, you know, it's appropriate to decannulate. 
I, I just don't understand where the benefit is coming from. Like, I can't quite get what it is. That, sound, that seems really difficult to do because your SVR is going to be constantly changing and you set your RPMs to a certain level and you're, you have your flow probe on and you'll say you're getting 600 cc's backwards, mm -hmm. but your SVR drops uh, and then you're going to have less coming through or your SVR goes up and you're going to have more going through and it just seems like that's very labor intensive mm -hmm. rather than just setting a flow somewhere between 500 and a liter, either with mm -hmm. clamps or reducing your RPMs or whatever it may be. And just and I don't see in, any increased in thromboembolic risk because you've got your arterial flow is just going to be passing by the cannula. You're very well anticoagulated. The venous will be flowing just like it would be normally if you mm -hmm. were flowing backwards through it or not. I don't know. It just doesn't seem to make sense to me. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't understand it. Well, um, I don't. I, I'm having a hard time with this. I think I think uh, what 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 I can say about that is it's kind of like saying, uh, Tammy, you're a runner, right? Mm -hmm. If somebody said to you, in order to qualify for this particular um, uh, a run, you have to be able to run uh, a five-minute mile, but you know that you can run a four-minute mile, mm -hmm. so so you have no concern about uh, running this run and making sure that you get it done in an in, in under five-minute mile. And I think that's what they're doing here. They're adding 10% or 15% maybe at least, or maybe more on some of these small patients. 600 cc's a minute mm -hmm. on a very tiny patient might even be 20% uh, of their cardiac mm -hmm. output. So I guess if you can perfuse yourself and in, in addition to another 20%, you certainly can be weaned off ECMO. So mm -hmm. I wonder how long do they try this for, though? Do they do it for 24 hours or just a couple hours or... Um, talking about yeah, hold on. Let's see. They did talk about that. Uh, Joe, see if you have any more comments, go ahead, and I will. Um, no, I, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, John. I think that what 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 you're saying is is that they are challenging. Yes, that, that's that's exactly what I think they're doing. And uh, and in that regard, of course, you know, if you're challenging the patient and they need, uh, let's say. I'm just going to throw some number out there. Let's say they're on five of Trex and, uh, and they don't have any increase in their Trex need for having, uh, looking, you know, looking adequate enough to be decannulated. You know, so if you had 600 cc's a minute going forward and you didn't need any Trex at all, wouldn't it be the same thing? I mean, I don't, to me, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't make sense to add a burden to a recently um, no. negatively impacted cardiovascular system by taking 15 or 20 percent of their cardiac output and making them work that much harder. But of course, they measured lactates and they, if they had a bump in lactate, they abandoned it or they had any kind of acidemia, acidosis occurring. They took care of that. Um, so they did they did examine those things. They looked at those things, but this, I, I don't know, would you do this? Would you recommend this to any of your guys? I, I never heard of this before, so it's hard to say. I think they yeah. probably think, they probably all be a lot of eyebrows raised, just like me and you were doing when Kevin was first going through it. But I think that um, this is, 
the patients are more than ready to come off. Yeah. And when you add an additional 15% burden, is essentially what they're doing, with the exception that you're having some higher venous saturation because of it. But cardiac-wise, you're adding uh, an additional burden. So if they can, they can handle the additional burden, they can certainly handle, handle it on their own. So I guess it's a pretty good test. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Did we, lose, come back mm -hmm. did, we, did we lose our internet or anything? No, I don't think so. No? Okay. Yeah. My yeah. computer went crazy. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, I can't find that data, uh, John, well, but... Uh, well, what I, that's what all right. I, what I was wondering, too, though, is why do they have the clamps step? Why do they, why do, they do it with clamps first? In other words, if you're flowing forward at two liters a minute and you're ready to do this re retrograde trial, why don't you just gradually decrease your RPMs until you get to zero flow and then continually decrease it until you get to your retrograde flow. Why do you have to go through that clamp step first? I, I believe the clamp step was their initial way of trying this out. To read. Okay, yeah. Yeah, when they were starting this protocol. Oh, so they turned the, because the, in the beginning they turned the RPMs all the way to zero. Yes. And then used a clamp to modulate the retrograde flow. Right. Versus they, the, you know, they hadn't that's figured out the zero flow thing yet. It was the a, a process. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't want to be the ECMO uh, manager, you know, ECMO technical manager on that case because that just seems like it's going to be very busy. Well, uh, yeah. At, at what point? At what point do you take your flow probe off the line and reverse it so it's not alarming like crazy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. No kidding. No kidding. Exactly. Okay, okay well, well, let's move forward, okay? Right. That was a good good discussion, yeah. an interesting talk. All right, so let's move forward with um, a little more talk about VA ECMO. That's great, because you know what all we've talked about is VV ECMO and I know, COVID, I was so excited. I'm sick of VV ECMO and I COVID. almost put something on here, and surprise, ECMO, but not VV and not COVID. That would have actually been funny. <laughs> I would have liked that. Okay, so we're just going to talk about, and we've talked about this in the past, but um, there are a few things that actually I learned uh, when I was uh, reading some articles on this. So we're going to talk about some considerations for weaning. I know this isn't your favorite source, but I actually found some really interesting information in this article. Um, so this is from the Annals of Cardiothoracic Surgery. Well, that's, I don't dislike that. Well, I know, but it's a summary kind of thing. But oh, for okay. what I need it mm -hmm. for, it, it actually worked quite mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. So this was uh, uh, published in January 2019. Weaning from VA ECMO, what strategy should we use? And you can see uh, a primary author, uh, Ortuno, I believe, is how that Sophia. Works. Yeah, Sophia Ortuno. All right, so I just did. I just read through, um, you know, the summary of everything that they sort of found in their literature um, research, and this is uh, what we came up, what I came up with for VA ECMO cardiogenic shot. So, of course, it's the purpose is to bridge to myocardial recovery, either partial or full, bridge to transplant or bridge to bridge. Weaning, and here's those crazy numbers. Successful weaning ranges anywhere from 13 to 76%, and it depends on the underlying cause. Mm. Survival to hospital discharge, 20 to 65%, will actually die before discharge. Mm -hmm. Predictors of mortality after weaning, diabetes, obesity, the door to VA ECMO implantation time. Mm -hmm. That's why you see them doing it now, like in... Paris, where yeah, the eCPR, the eCPR in the field. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, the CPR duration, 
poor renal or liver, liver function, high lactate levels, and high... Um, SOFA scores. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm assuming you pronounce it SOFA score. Yes. Okay. So I actually have heard of that but didn't know a lot about it. And so um, I, got, I get into it just a little bit here for anybody else who is with us who doesn't know a lot about this. So I knew that a high score was bad, and I didn't really know mm -hmm. how you got to that. So if you're not familiar, the SOFA score has to do with um, sequential organ failure assessment. Um, it was developed uh, in 1994 by the European Intensive Care and Emergency Medicine at a consensus conference. It originally was named the um, septic uh, organ failure assessment, but then they uh, figured out that it also can apply to non-septic patients, and so it's become a pretty common tool in just kind of looking at the progression of these really sick patients. It looks at six systems, respiratory, coagulation, hepatic, cardiovascular, central nervous system, and renal. The scoring is normal function of any of those systems would be zero, and then the most abnormal would be four. The worst values recorded for each system for every day. So even if you have that one really bad value in that day, that's the one you have to record for this system. Organs are monitored individually over time, but you can also look at an overall score to be calculated. Okay? And here is the, uh, the scoring system itself. So you can see that you've got zero all the way to four, so five categories there. And these are the ranges that they look at for the individual um, categories, uh, whether it be, you know, what your, uh, what your FiO2 is and your oxygen uh, PaO2s, your coagulation uh, in that, what are your platelets, what's your bilirubin, uh, you know, what's your MAP, are you on, uh, you know, any pressors, what's your um, CNS score, and they look at the Glasgow Coma score, which I don't know a lot about that. Uh, but it basically has to do with following commands and, and such. Um, the, and then your renal, they look at your creatinine and your um, urine output. And just for fun, I thought we, since we love to do these interactive things, I thought we would go ahead and um, try to calculate a SOFA score. So how do I make this work? Click it. Okay, there we go. All right, so there's a lot of different websites out there that uh, calculate this. But here is uh, one that I found that I thought would be easy to see on the screen. So we'll just go ahead and do you want to make up one or you want to do a sample one? Um, I'll make it up. Okay, so tell me, what so is our patient? So FiO2, they're on the vent 100%. Okay, uh, I think I have to use a keyboard for this. So let's see. Oh, hold on. Okay, and okay. what's their PaO2? We'll, we'll make them a COVID patient, so we'll give them a PaO2 of, uh, uh, PaO2 of uh, mm, 768. Okay, and they're yes. on yes, mechanical ventilator. Oh, wait, hold on. I had to go. Oh, shoot. Yes. Okay, then. Oh, you have to get rid of, oh, okay, you have a period Yeah, there. I had to okay. go back, yep. Platelets, uh, well, you know, we'll give them 150,000. Okay. So 150. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. And then, uh, oops, uh, let's see. Uh, what is their bilirubin? We'll give them a bilirubin of uh, two. Okay. 
And uh, what's their Glasgow Coma score? I think a really high is like 15 or 16. Yeah, it's, uh, we'll, we'll say they're, they're awake, alert, there's no issues. Okay. So we'll give them like a, let's give them a four. Okay. And then let's see. And what's their map? 70. Okay. And are they on uh, vasopressors? No. No vasopressors. Okay. And what's their creatinine? Uh, 1.2. Okay. And then what's their urine output? The choices are uh, greater than uh, 500 milliliters per day, 2 to 500, or less than 200. 2 to 500. All right, now are you ready? I'm ready. Calculate. Okay, so the score is 14, and you can see that their uh, estimated mortality is 50 to 60%. And that's a reasonably decent patient that we get. Yep. That's not a bad, that I, I did not make that horrible, other no. than their PF ratio. But you'll look here in the little summary mm -hmm. that uh, where your where your negative points came from. So, uh, well, why, if they're normal neurologically, why did we give them, uh, uh, they're getting four points. Why? Because they shouldn't be. They did sh you want them to have a one? Well, Here. No, it, it says less than six. So I'm not sure how you score the, uh, the coma score. What's, what's better, what's worse? Okay, I think I would on. make it normal. Let me show you. Uh, what's normal see. in that? So I have to look that up. Yeah, it's right here. Oh. So you can look at uh, normal would be, oh, it's uh, supposed to be higher, not lower. I got that one backwards. Yeah, okay, so, so give they them, had a pretty low so one. So give them, give them, give them uh, 14. Okay, so, oh, I have to do it all over again. Oh, that's all right. 100. Okay, hold on. 100, okay. 68. 68. Yes. Yes. What did you say for that, 100? 120, 150. Uh, that doesn't matter. And then their bilirubin was two. two. And then, so this should be 14. 14, yeah, sorry. And then that was 70 and no pressors. Creatinine was 1.2. Okay. And then they were kind of in the middle there. 250 to 500. Okay. 11. Okay. Still a very high mortality. Yeah. So let's give them better urine. Can you, can you just change the urine output? Yep. Let's make them greater than 500 a day and recalculate it. Nine. Nine. So that look at how look at the difference. Yeah. In the mortality. Went from forty to fifty to fifteen to twenty just off of that. Yeah. And, and I'm just curious, oh. can you make their creatinine uh point nine? Yeah. It didn't the change the mortality but it lowered their points. Yeah. But let's let's do something else here. Let's just go ahead and do the thing that is usually a thing, <laughs> right? So let's just say they're on just very, very small amount of something. You see what just that one thing did? Yes. Because <laughs> I played with this a little bit last yes, night. Yes, that's frightening. Yeah. Can you imagine if we had, you know, all of those? I just put a, a pretty small amount, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm curious. So, so let's try this. Let's do. Uh, let's change the. Uh, oh, John, do you have something? 
Yeah, so I mean, this is unbelievable because basically what you have here is a patient on 100%, which is very common for us nowadays. PO2, a lot of times it's less than 68, it's more like 50, mm. 55. But you have 68, and with and they're all on pressors pretty much. So yeah. any pressors at all, they're, they're all, this ventilator setting is so common. Everything else is good, good Glasgow, good Billy Rubin. Uh, but if you have a poor urine output, probably means they're leaning towards renal failure. Maybe they have to be on CRT. It didn't like that at all. No. And as soon as you put any vasopressor on there, it just skyrocketed. Mm -hmm. So when you combine the poor ventilatory, ventilatory status with a little bit of vasopressor, apparently you're in a pretty bad zone. And we see that every single patient. Yeah, well, yeah. Let's, and let's, let's make this oh, a little more realistic. Oh, can you do realistic? me one? Yeah, do that. But I want you to do one other thing after you've done it. Okay. What else? So change the norepi yeah. to what we just saw on our patient to 50 mics per minute. Not per minute, mi yeah. mics per kilo, yeah. but 50 and then mics per kilo. Yeah, now calculate it. Oh, I need to know their weight. Um, their weight is... Uh, 70? No, I think, I think she, was, uh, she was more than that. She was, I think, 85 kilos. Okay. It didn't really make that much of a difference. I haven't calculated it oh. yet. Oh, yeah, no, it didn't make that much of a difference. I guess because if you're on one. Hit the, no, you didn't. Uh, oh, okay, yeah, 50. Yeah. Um, so if you're on it, it automatically puts you in a new category. So click calculate one more time. Yeah, yeah. it didn't make any difference. Yeah, I think yeah. it matters if you're on it at all. Let's go back to the PowerPoint real quick because I think it says something about that. So... Uh, cardiovascular, if you're on any dobutamine, it, it doesn't matter the dose. Um, and look, norepi or epinephrine, uh, even at the smallest amount. Pushes you to three and four. Yeah. So it's almost like it doesn't matter. You just, you're just going to your max of mm -hmm. what you can. But as soon as you even have that, it puts mm -hmm. you in the, the most abnormal categories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pretty interesting, I thought, because uh, I really didn't know a lot about this. Have you played around with this much? No, yeah. no, I have not. Yeah. I know that a I know a high sofa score is bad. Yeah, that's all I, I knew. I kind of knew what it was. Yeah. But no, I really, I've never really, I've never really done sofa scores to do it. Yeah. Well, now if you see one, you'll have a little bit better understanding of it. I hope. Absolutely. Okay, yes. so. Um, in this article, that they talked about factors to assess for successful weaning. And uh, they were really specific in saying that lots of authors, uh, the ones specifically in this table, have tried to find things, but they were really more observational and they could not find an absolute range on any of them. But here's some of the things that they looked at. Uh, pulse pressure, biomarkers, um, look echo, you know, hemody hemodynamic assessment, while weaning, and microcirculation. You know... I knew, I, know, knew, I knew that was going to make you happy. It does. No, it doesn't just make me happy. I just wish that we would be more, you know, I think, I think, you know, like that, that lady that I'm just so, you know, troubled by, um, I think it would have been important and maybe it would have been academic, but I think that if you have 
such an incredibly obvious microcirculatory derangement. Um, it helps guide, you know, your decisions and what to what to do. Well, I know we can eventually get the you get the the the, the markers for it, the biomarkers, right? Your lactate levels go yeah, up. I mean, yeah. there's obvious things that are going to happen, but so much of what we do masks so much of what's actually happening to the patient because we have so much technology. Well, and if we just go back to just real quick about what Dr. Patel, I mean, I could have talked to him all morning, but I imagine he needed to get to doing his actual work. But going back to what he was talking about, even in just uh, talking about COVID patients and the microcirculation within the lungs, I hadn't even thought about this. Mm that if you've got a secondary pneumonia and you're giving antibiotics for it, but if you have no microcirculation, how are you ever going to get to the root of the problem? Right. You're not. Right. right. And then those lungs just liquefy. Right. They just die. Yes. And uh, they become eventually just scar tissue. Correct. Yeah. Anyway, but then that didn't happen to Michelle. Well, and we just don't know why, though. I, I know. She's and a miracle. I, I don't understand. I mean, I don't. I don't understand. I mean, yes, it is. She is. And and but again, you know, I I I God bless her and God bless those patients who have survived this horrible mm-hmm. disease. But you know, I I'm very troubled with that at what cost. And I think that they clearly say, I don't know what you're seeing there, John. I mean, I'm curious to know what y'all are doing. But you know, when you are throwing everything that you have in the kitchen sink on top of it at one patient, you have a whole bunch of other patients who don't have access to that. And I, I'm, I don't know what the right answer is. I don't really know. Well, and I'm even very, if we, um, we could get into a huge it's a, it's ethical, a quagmire. yeah, and we could get into a huge ethical discussion about just what Dr. Patel says, who gets it and why. Yeah. Because we have patients that, you know, some were doing every single thing for despite them not being the best candidate, and others that they're also not the best candidate, but why not them? You know? Well, you know, I got a telephone call. I have to tell you this. We got a telephone call in the unit the other night. And, uh, well, I guess it was, it was uh, no, it was not at night. It was the weekend, but it was in the afternoon. I'm sorry. It was in the afternoon on the weekend, Sunday, I think. And um, I got a call. We got a call from a hospital, we believed. The nurse said there's a hospital on the phone, wants to know if we have an ECMO pump uh, that we can accept a patient. Mm. And uh, we you know, finally got somebody else to talk to the person calling. We're like, hey, we got to escalate this up. It wasn't a hospital. Yeah. It was the patient's family yeah. who had made their way through the telephone system to get directly to the ICU and was trying to get their family member moved from another hospital that didn't provide ECMO two hours and we didn't have anything we had nothing available we had no way to accept this patient plus you can't do it that direction you've got to go through the proper channels well and i'm going to comment on this and this might seem like a joke but i assure you it's not in some of my perfusion groups that i belong to on social media you know where we discuss 
various things in there. Someone was monitoring a different social media site and found where a person, a non-medical person, had placed a, you know, a query, a solicitation kind of thing on a social media site asking for uh, where to purchase an ECMO pump that they could use at home. That's frightening. It's very frightening. I mean, the title of it was, by the time it got through, was Perfusionist Not Included. <laughs> I mean, but that's where we are. People are so desperate yeah. that they really just don't even understand. Well, yeah. let me get through my last slide here, and mm. then we can have some more discussion. I don't want to run into John's time, because I'm sure his knowledge nuggets is going to be awesome. Okay, so this, uh, then the annals uh, came up with, after they looked at all the literature, this is their summary of how you, what the strategy is that they recommend from the literature that they reviewed on how to wean VA ECMO. So you'll see that they've uh, got an, uh, a proposed algorithm here for successful weaning of VA ECMO. So they're going to look at um, the mean arterial pressure, the velocity time integration, the left ventricular ejection fraction, uh, pulsatility. Yeah, pulsatility, tissue Doppler, uh, the, mi uh, the mitral annulus peak systemic velocity, the right ventricle. Systolic. Oh, oh yeah. sorry. Systolic. Peak systolic yeah, velocity. Yeah, sorry. Systolic velocity, the right ventricle, the cardiac index, the pulmonary capillary wedge pressure, the central venous pressure, etc. But if you look at step one, they'll talk about that first off, the cardiac failure must be recoverable. I mean, that's. I don't know why that's so plain in VA ECMO, yet it's not so plain in VV ECMO. Mm -hmm. Understood. You know, um, of course, we're going to look at hemodynamic stability. Uh, you must have, uh, they found that a pulsatile arterial waveform for at least 24 hours before you consider weaning. A baseline map greater than 60. And you also have to be um, either no uh, catecholamines or low doses. The patient should also have recovered from any major metabolic disturbances, but no high lactates, of course. Um, pulmonary function should not be severely impaired. And you can see that they're talking about the uh, PaO2, FaO2 ratio, and um, having a, a greater than 100 um, uh, when FiO2 uh, and the ECMO gas lump is set to 21%. Wait, 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 wait. Time out. If the patient is on VA ECMO, mm -hmm. you're not setting your ECMO gas flow to 21%. There's just no way in heck you would do that. I mean, that's, 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 a, that's a lethal maneuver. Mm -hmm. But that's what it says. Is that what it says? Let's it says see. if PF ratio less than 100, when FiO2 and the ECMO gas flow is set at 21%, consider bridging the patient from VA to VV ECMO. Yeah, it sure That does. is what it says. And that is a, uh, yeah, John, we, are you, do you, yeah. do you, do you, do you, would you ever advocate for that? Yeah, I, I think, I think somehow that they were trying to say something about VV ECMO here because. Um, yeah, because you would never, general. why would you wean oxygen yeah. on VA ECMO, correct? Well, that's what it says. Bridge the patient from VA yeah, to VV. That, there's yeah. something, there's something the editors wrong. screwed this up. Somebody, somebody didn't read this. Yeah. Because that makes no sense. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. So 
we'll leave that last part out, but pulmonary function should not be severely impaired. That Agreed. is That is correct. Fair enough. Okay. The patient must tolerate a full weaning trial. Uh, you're looking at hemodynamics, looking at an echo, gradually decrease from 66 to 33 uh, baseline value, and then a minimum of 1 to 1.5 liters. And then if steps 1, 2, 3, and 4 are all validated, the patient is under minimal ECMO support. Uh, the uh, EF is greater than 20 to 25%. The aortic VTI is greater than 12 centimeters. The TDSA is greater than 6 centimeters per second. The 3D RV ejection fraction uh, is greater than 24.6%. Then all of those things, you should be able to successfully remove the ECMO. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. I and, mean, I oops. think that's fair. That's it. Yeah. So, um, you can take you know, my slides down. Thanks, guys. No, don't take them down. Oh, no, not yet? No, you want to go back up. to something? Yeah, okay. I want to go back to that previous slide. This, I think, this, this mess up here? Yeah, it's not your mess up. I no. mean, I think that it's, uh, you know, I mean, I think it's, I mean, I want to make sure that I'm not reading it wrong, but well, I don't I've believe I Well, I've got the I article am. right here, so what, let me, let me mm -hmm. look into it. Just so while you're second. doing that, you know, I think <laughs> what I don't see here is mm -hmm. I don't see anything about retrograde flow trying to wean off of ECMO. Well, I don't see that. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this article was also published a little bit earlier. So, you know, it was oh, published. they didn't have the benefit of it? The idea? I don't know. 2019. Okay. So yeah. they're, they're not in the same timeline. But, you know, I, you know, I mean, I think, I think pulsatility is, is critically important. I think um, having a, uh, why do we keep getting these crazy messages from this Yoko Yukio? I mean, it's all spam, and I keep reporting her, but uh, is there a way to stop this, guys, at In all? our chat, YouTube chat? Yeah, I just keep, I just keep oh, deleting it. It's oh, killing okay. me. Oh, sorry. Um, do we have any know. comments from anyone? No. No, we don't. But we have viewers. Oh. We have good viewers. I mean, I don't... Um, I'd love don't... for somebody to call in. I'd like for somebody, because if, you know, if anybody thinks they're going to win anything today, they're not going to win anything if they don't call in. Right, and we've I'm got all this. I'm not spinning this wheel. We've got great stuff, and we've got don't great stuff. deny me spinning the wheel, guys. It's yeah, my we'll favorite. spin the wheel. We'll spin the wheel for me. I'm getting something, because <laughs> I get nothing, ever. Um, but, uh, no, I think that weaning from VA ECMO, John, what do you all do? Just tell us what you do, because I, I can tell you how I do it, but, you know, people are sick of me. Tell me what you do. Well, actually, um, we wean um, we wean VA ECMO, of course, with flow, and you wean uh, VV ECMO with uh, either FIO2 or just keep decreasing the sweep. Actually, is what we kind of do. We kind of wean the sweep way down yeah. on VV ECMO, which is I don't know how we kind of fell into that habit because I was telling somebody the other day you you should just be turning the FIO2 down, but we've gotten to where we keep decreasing the sweep down to. Very, very tiny amounts on You're VV. talking about VV or VA? Well, we, 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 we wean sweep on VV, and we wean flow on VA, right? Right, right. 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 That makes sense. Okay, I have a... And I don't have a problem. It depends if you're, you know, and we see this a lot, right? Is the, is the primary problem with this patient oxygenation, or is the primary problem with this patient... CO2 removal with their lungs as we're trying to wean the VV, or is it both, right? Uh, if it's both, they're probably not going to wean very well. But, you know, if they're, 
you know, I've seen this before, and at first I really didn't appreciate it when I first saw this, but people allowing for the PCO2, you know, permissive hypercapnia is fine, but I mean, I was seeing it at 65 and 70 in order to give the patient, as long as you can keep the pH above 7, 7.3 or above, and I've seen 7.9 accepted, um, in order to let the patient's kidneys compensate and get the bicarb level up and have a compensated respiratory acidosis with a metabolic alkalosis so that you could get the patient weaned and they could survive in an environment of hypercapnia because that's where they believed they were going to be. If it's oxygenation, it's a completely different problem. And I've seen it go both ways where the patients just were so hypercaptic, but their PO2s weren't too bad. They were sat in 92, 94% on a little bit of apotherm, but their PCO2s are 65, and their, but their pHs are 7.38, 7.4, 7.42, because their bicarb levels are 40. Mm-hmm. Okay, I found the, the specific here. Okay. Okay, so it's just a short paragraph. Furthermore, pulmonary oxygenation of the blood must not be compromised. The PaO2-FiO2 ratio should be more than 200, and the oxygen fraction delivered by the uh, ECMO circuit should be 21%. That's just a, that's just a mistake. And that, hold on. Unless it's VV. Yeah. And that uh, delivered by the ventilator circuit should be less than 60. These measurements should be made 10 minutes after having decreased the ECMO flow and sweep gas, that is, with an ECMO flow less than 1 liter per minute and sweep gas of 1 liter per minute for 10 minutes. But listen to the references that they have for um, what they're using for the, this particular paragraph, the pulmonary oxygenation. They're good references, so it's pretty interesting. Okay, so first article that they used was... Um, a position paper for the organization of ECMO programs and cardiac failure in adults. It was published in 2018 in Intensive Care Medicine. Good journal. Good journal. Okay. Then they also used um, how to wean a patient from VA ECMO um, Intensive Care Medicine, published 2015. Mm -hmm. Another good one. Okay. Then I believe this is the ELSO. Yep. ELSO guidelines for cardiopulmonary extracorporeal life support uh, version 1.3, November 2013. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to go on record. Yeah, no, I know. Okay, I'm just going to go on record and tell anybody that's watching this program. Yeah, you don't wean FIO2. That if you're on VA ECMO, if you're pumping blood through an oxygenator into the arterial tree, you never turn the FIO2 under 100. You just right. leave it at 100, and that's all there is to it. Um, you would never decrease your FiO2 to 21% and pump deoxygenated blood essentially into the arterial circulation. Doesn't so make any sense. Don't ever do it. That's all I can tell you. I think it's just a mistake. They, I don't think they actually do this. I think they just made a mistake as they were writing it. Something yeah. went horribly wrong and the editors missed it. Um, or I don't understand it. I don't think I don't understand it. It seems to be saying what it says, but in my view, and I'm just going on record, I don't know if you want to go on record with me, yeah. don't ever do that. Do not ever decrease your FiO2 
uh, on your circuit uh, for VA ECMO in order to wean. Well, yeah. well maybe, Joe, maybe Joe, they're doing the retrograde flow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, if you want to do that, that's fine. But uh, uh, And that's fine if you want to do that. I don't necessarily think that is quite as bad. I don't think it's either one is really a good choice. I don't like the retrograde. I don't think the retrograde flow makes any sense to me. Um, I don't think I it think, hurts anything. I'm not sure of that. I, I'm not 100% convinced that's true. I think that stealing 15 to 20% of your cardiac output can be problematic. So, and I don't think that the amount of increased oxygenation on the right side, especially if you don't really have primary lung disease, um, is an, even if you did, if you did, it wouldn't be enough to benefit you. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think uh, I think having a big AV shunt of 15 to 20% is pretty significant. I, I, I don't think I would do that either. I don't like that idea. I think just reducing your flow, making sure the patient is anticoagulated. Anytime you reduce your flow in the ECMO, I have no problem with high ECMO flow. And even in VA ECMO with minimal anticoagulation, I don't necessarily like none. VV, we get away with it. VA, mm, I'm not so sure that I can, I like that. Although I, people may do it. I don't know if you guys do it down there, John, or not. I really don't know. Um, but I would say that uh, uh, just make sure that, for me, um, my comfort zone is a little higher anticoagulation if the patient's not bleeding and reduce your ECMO flow, continue to reduce it, mm -hmm. monitor your echo, look at your inotropy uh, and press her need um, and, uh, and then uh, and look at your metabolic parameters. And if the patient, I mean, I think we know if the patient looks like they are successfully weanable or not if you do a 24-hour you know wean lower flow kind of situation where you're only flowing five or six hundred cc's and they're doing fine they should do okay mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's my view yeah john do you want to close up uh, have any final comments on this before we get to your segment knowledge nuggets no i thought that was great i really like the sofa uh aspect of that i think i'm gonna see if i can look into that a little closer because um, I have a feeling that if we were to put 90% of our COVID patients on that sofa score, uh, the mortality rate would be uh, uh, really high. Yes. Our predicted mortality, yeah. right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, right. You know, the thing about this uh, COVID patients, they're on multiple pressors and multiple heavy doses of sedation. The amount of sedation that these COVID patients are requiring to keep them down is, is almost mind-numbing. Mind it is. We it is. three or four of uh, 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 everything known, and then we add ketamine at, uh, also to, for a topper. They're on sometimes double and triple the max dose of more than one. And we had a patient sitting there talking to us uh, one day. It was, it was unbelievable. And I see this in my travels, too. I recently went to four different places last month, and it's the same everywhere. The patients are on unbelievable amounts of sedation, and as soon as one of them starts to wear off just a little bit, they start thrashing, they start fighting the bed, you gotta put them right back on heavy, heavy sedation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, really, it's really Well, and, and just to unbelievable. talk about that just a little bit more too, and we've seen, which I'm sure this is common, it's just we're not normally around for this, you know, because we haven't had awake ECMO patients really um, in, our, in our hospitals until now, but now, once they're awake, 
because uh, we've had several that you know were were sedated, intubated, uh, put on ECMO. Uh, eventually, we uh, you know woke them up, uh, put them on a, a, a trach, and they're awake, and they need so much just to uh, stay comfortable mm -hmm. because they've been on just these incredibly high amounts of sedation for so long that now they're awake and they're... They're addicts. Well, that's what I was going to say. We've created these addicts, mm -hmm. and it's terrible to watch. really is because they really are miserable. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, they're on high doses, they become high tolerant, then they become addicted. But my question is, what is it about this virus that re makes people require these enormous amounts of sedation? Have you ever seen this before, Joe? I, 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 I'm not sure. I, I, I guess mean, I thought about, I've thought about this. I mean, you have a good question. People question's... come in with the flu. Yeah, people no, it's people, a... people come in with flu A, flu B, even SARS and MERS. Did these viruses uh, prompt three or four max dosage, dosages of, of several uh, sedation medications like this? Do you think it's... I don't um, know. Do, I don't think we saw that in the first wave. Um, and I, I, of course, I, don't, I have thought about this. And maybe it's the, you know, incredibly, you know, youthful... Uh, the, the young age of the patients that we're getting, and maybe that is the differentiator of needing to use so much. I mean, a 60-year-old or a 55-year-old may not need as much as a 19 or 24-year-old. So maybe. it's hard. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it's if it's their metabolism gets ramped up so high it clears it faster. Um, I, good question. I don't really have a good answer. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't well, know if it's the virus is driving it. It may be something else. Well, and I was going to say, too, part of that may be playing into that COVID, you know, our COVID ECMOs are so severely sick that if they aren't at a complete, just, just complete sedation where nothing is going on, mm -hmm. then their oxygen consumption, even though it's minimal, is just that enough to be that tipping point where they desat. Yeah, just too much. Well, that's what, of course, Dr. Patel talked about this morning, is can we really achieve enough flow in order to be able to overcome their hyperdynamic? And we have, we put the flow track on people, and we have, I saw cardiac output the other day of 16 liters. Mm -hmm. Not on a big patient, it wasn't a big, huge patient. Their cardiac output was 16 liters, mm -hmm. and their, you know, their peripheral arterial saturation coming out of their, their radial was, you know, 72. Yeah. And it was just nothing I could do. Yep. You know, it just, it, I, I felt, I felt completely hopeless. I mean, it was, it's helpless rather. I, it's very, I felt hopeless too, but it's frustrating. Mm -hmm. um, but.